Hello, you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tony Hines and you're listening to the Chain Reaction News Roundup. Environmental issues have moved right up the agenda and it struck me that the latest protest from Seoul about Japan's nuclear plant in Fukushima and the decision to discharge water into the ocean has caused quite a reaction in South Korea. And the South Koreans say that the ocean is for everyone and it doesn't just belong to Japan. So some concern about the ecosystem and the marine life in the ocean being displayed by the protesters in Seoul. There's no doubt, of course, that if we continue on this planet to push waste, industrial waste, into the oceans and the rivers, that the future is bleak. And there must be different ways through innovation and technology that we can handle this industrial waste. And if not, should we be producing industrial waste in the first place? Brent crude hit $86 this week. And now this is quite a rise on just a month ago, even though there's a slight fall back in prices towards the end of the week. And the cause of this is the OPEC plus group restricting supply. It's always about supply and demand in the oil industry. And if you're a cartel, just a small group of suppliers, you can basically determine the price that you want for the commodity you're selling by simply restricting the supply. And that's exactly what's happening here. And OPEC Plus is determined to restrict supplies into 2024 to keep the price at which they want it. They want to achieve a minimum of $75 per barrel. And so that's going to keep energy costs artificially high for the period of time. And it just shows how reliant industrial economies are on oil today. GDP figures in the United Kingdom have risen by 0.2% for June, and that's up from 0.1% a month earlier. So, some good news for the output in the United Kingdom, but it's still below the pre-pandemic levels. The United Kingdom remains the only country from the group of seven leading economies where GDP is still below pre-pandemic levels. Output in the UK has grown just 0.4% since January 2022, and it's the weakest performance in 65 years outside of a recession, according to the Resolution Foundation. The fragile economy and interest rates at a 15-year high at 5.25%, the Bank of England needs to tread carefully in the next move, and it will be watching carefully the inflation and wage numbers in the coming weeks. While many economies have been grappling with inflation for the past year or so, China's economy has the problem of deflation as consumer prices are falling. The official consumer price index fell by 0.3% last month, from a year earlier. 
Analysts have said that the increased pressure on the government to revive demand in the world's second-largest economy is growing. There is weak import and export data, which signals question marks over China's recovery from the post-pandemic. There is also growing local government debt and challenges for housing, youth unemployment, which is at a record high, with nearly 12 million university graduates expected to enter the Chinese job market later this year. These falling prices make it harder for China to lower debt and to tackle the slower rate growth in the economy. While most of Western industrialised world saw a boom in consumer spending after the pandemic restrictions were lifted, there was a huge increase in demand for goods that were limited by supply, coupled with rising energy costs and food inflation. But in China, prices didn't rise, and the tight restrictions placed on the economy by the coronavirus caused economic problems as factories had to close and, of course, supplies from China dried up. China's exports fell by 14.5% in July, compared to a year earlier, and imports have fallen by 12.4%. There is also a property market crisis after the near collapse of its biggest real estate developer, Evergrande. Investor confidence is weak, despite the government saying everything's under control. Pakistan's economic woes are there for everyone to see. The South Asian nation is facing its worst economic crisis since independence from Britain in 1947, according to the BBC. It's reached an agreement with the International Monetary Fund to provide three billion US dollars of funding. That's about two and a half billion pounds. And the central bank has had to raise the main interest rate to a record high of 22%. This week, there have been accusations of mismanagement of the economy for some time, and it's been pushed to the edge by the global energy crisis and, of course, the devastating floods that hit the country last year. The country suffers from power cuts regularly, and that, of course, hits output from the industrial units across the nation. It's a real problem for the 230 million people who live in Pakistan And it's important that the economy is stabilised. Of course, one of the previous Prime Ministers, Imran Khan, was arrested and charged with corruption in the past week. But it's important to point out that Pakistan's problems go far beyond any single Prime Minister. Mismanagement has been caused by many. Britain has the oldest railway system in the world. The railways in the United Kingdom have been in operation since 1830. But the problem right now is that they're not working very efficiently. And there are strikes by rail unions and the drivers' union that are causing serious problems for freight and commuters. And people want to know when the railways will be fixed. Since the pandemic, the rail system has been in serious trouble. And commuters have become disillusioned and fed up with higher prices for poor service. And the government doesn't seem to be able to resolve the problem. Some are asking, is it time to renationalise the rail system? 
In many other countries, the subsidies given to railways are much higher than those given to the rail networks in the United Kingdom. And with so many operators failing to meet the agreements of the franchise operation, is it time to have more penalties in place for bad service? Many think so. United Kingdom will face another series of rail strikes from the 26th of August, around the bank holiday time in the UK. The system is so broken that people are being forced to find alternative means of transport where they can. Public transport, of course, is not in a good condition in any case, with bus services also cracking under the strain since the pandemic. So it's either to private transport the people turn, or they just stop travelling. And with a lot of pressure on people to go back to the office after the post-pandemic period, we need a railway system that works efficiently. When tech companies become petulant, perhaps you know you're doing something right when it comes to legislation. In the United Kingdom, there is the GDPR regulations, which have caused tech companies some problems. And there's an online child safety bill that's currently being implemented that will also cause problems for tech companies. And it just strikes me that when things don't go the way of these tech companies, that they become petulant, as I said, and they threaten to withdraw service. But we all know that that's not real. They're just trying to get their own way. It's a ploy because tech companies are reliant on data. And data is the lifeblood of the industry. It creates income streams and profit. And if that becomes threatened by the Competitions and Markets Authority or legislation due to safety issues for children or for data protection for everyone, then the encryption that's necessary limits the amount of data that tech companies can harvest for their own purposes. And there's the real problem. The Digital Markets Bill, which is making its way through the UK Parliament, proposes that the UK Competition Watchdog selects large companies like Amazon, Microsoft, and sets rules for compliance. And if they don't comply, they'll be punished. And the big tech firms are quite concerned about this. Microsoft, of course, is still upset that the Competition and Markets Authority chose to block the acquisition of the video game giant Activision Blizzard. The European Union is a more attractive place to start business than the United Kingdom because of this new legislation. But for how long will that be? Because the EU is also planning to introduce strict rules along the same lines as those in the United Kingdom. However, it's important that matters are resolved because we all benefit from having the big tech companies in the United Kingdom, and we all want to see them work efficiently and effectively for our own purposes. And we also want the big tech companies to work with government and vice versa, so that everyone benefits, rather than simply having conflict. We welcome innovation, we welcome the services that the tech companies provide, but we also do need regulation. Last month, Apple said it will remove services such as FaceTime and iMessage from the UK rather than weaken security if new proposals are made law and acted on. The UK government, meanwhile, is seeking to 
update the Investigatory Powers Act of 2016, and it wants these messaging services to clear security features with the Home Office before releasing them to customers. And many in the industry think that this is interference with the technology. The Act would let the Home Office demand security features be disabled without telling the public. The real concern here is about keeping people safe online. And who knows best? Is it the government or is it the tech companies? And perhaps they need to work more cooperatively than in conflict. Problem, of course, is if these tech companies have to make changes just for a single country and they don't have to do it elsewhere, it means that the cost of making those changes become considerable for the company. And, of course, it may weaken the security rather than strengthen it. So we'll have to watch this space. I think there are some careful negotiations ahead. In the first week of August, the delays in the Panama Canal averaged about 15 to 19 days per vessel. And this is because the low water levels in the Gatun Lake restricted the number of fully laden vessels able to make the journey. And this is because of drought. So again, the climate change happening in key areas is causing disruption to canal traffic. It's taken about two metres off the maximum draft for its Neopanamax locks, and it's reduced the maximum amount of daily transits by 20%. So there are only about 32 voyages each day right now. And this change of operating conditions is seeing delays for ships of all sizes. Of course, the delays are a reminder of the urgency to address climate change. The shipping industry has been said to be one of the most at risk as a result of climate change, and it has to reduce emissions to mitigate the risk. While it happens to be raining again in Panama, so the expectation is that the canal will fill up again, the next peril from the weather is El Nino, which is a weather phenomenon tending to bring drier weather later on in the year. A week or two back, the largest ship to transit the canal, the Evermax, was a 17,312 TEU vessel, a large container ship, and that's an evergreen ship. It paid $1.5 million in tolls and was forced to unload 1,400 TEUs at the port of Balboa to meet the draft, which required it to only have 13,345 TEUs on the ship. So you can see the sort of disruption that this lower water level can cause in the Panama Canal. When it comes to the cost of moving goods through the Panama Canal and, of course, the time it will take to get a ship through and whether that ship will meet the draft requirements if there is a water level issue are all creating uncertainty for the ship owners that have to manage their vessels through this global supply chain. 40% of US container traffic moving through the Panama Canal from Asia and, of course, to Asia, because it's a major trade route for that traffic, goes through that canal each year. Now, if shippers have got to reduce the size of operation, they can't get the economies of scale on these big container ships because they have to send smaller loads through to meet the draft requirement. And only this week, the backlog in the 
Panama Canal was said to be about 154 ships waiting to go through. So it's a real problem. Yellow is a 99-year-old trucking company in the United States, and this week it's filed for bankruptcy. So what went wrong? How did that happen? It shuts down operations after 99 years in business. The company is blaming the Teamster Union for the collapse, and there's been a series of no-pulled punches between the two. 30,000 jobs are at stake, and 22,000 of those jobs are members of the Teamster Union. It's likely to rumble on as the company enters the bankruptcy court. The company had a $700 million bailout from the government in the US in 2020, but even this wasn't enough to stop the demise of the company, and the share price collapsed in July, trading at less than $2 a share. It's the largest trucking bankruptcy in the United States. Yellow began life in 1924 in Oklahoma City as a small taxi and bus operation. When it filed for bankruptcy in 1951, a banker bought the company and turned it into a trucking company, and it benefited from the international highway system that was developing throughout the United States, connecting cities and towns. Yellow is known as an LTL carrier, which means that it carries less than a truckload. And that's been a good niche for the company. In 2002, the company had 12,000 trucks and they moved goods for Home Depot, Walmart, Amazon. And it was the lead player in this marketplace with low-cost solutions. The strategy it employed an early two decades earlier was to take over lots of smaller companies, but it didn't integrate these companies well into the yellow system. It acquired its major competitor, Roadway, in 2003. It cost yellow about $1 billion in cash and stock, and it looked a good move at the time. And yellow's share price surged. It increased by 50% in the year that followed. And those two companies now merged were operating at near full capacity. They repeated the operation in 2005 when they bought USF for $1.37 billion. But again, they failed to integrate it completely into the system. So they now had these other businesses that were having to be managed and controlled, but without integrating them fully. When the financial crash came in 2008, the company was heavily exposed to debt and demand for its services began to drop. And so it became very much at risk from that time. The Teamster Union had to give a lot of concessions during that period to save jobs and save the company. And it's probably been pretty sore from that time because it felt it had to fund the business. And although the company was turning over about $5 billion every year in revenue, it was making very small profits at below $25 million. And the employees weren't seeing any benefits either from their investment. When the pandemic hit in 2020, the company once again hit a severe downturn. It was thrown a lifeline by the US government, who supported the company with a loan. And that's because Yellow was a major provider to the US Department of Defense. They moved a lot of goods for the Defense Department. But the debt burden was $1.5 billion. US dollars, and about half of that was owed to the government for the loans that they'd made 
to the business. And on the operating costs and the margins, they weren't able to service that debt, so they struggled. So in summary, the failure to integrate those merged businesses, the increasing debt load, and of course, the infighting between the company and the Teamster Union have all contributed to the demise of the business. So we'll have to see what happens next. There are tough times in the sea freight business right now, and Moller Maersk, the world's largest container shipping company, at the beginning of 2022, is continuing to lose market share to competitors. It's said to have just 15.2% of the global operating capacity in the container market. That's according to Alpha Liner. MSC, Mediterranean Shipping Company, has skyrocketed from 14.7% to 19%. The shipping company has also cut capacity in the first half of 2023. With a downturn in the world economy, things could get worse, and shipping is always a tough business to be in. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains, and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon, all things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.